Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Seated. We, we are now uh, at the time for the scripture for this morning. It is, uh, comes from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And this reading is from the Revised Standard Version, which you can find in your seat backs. It's page 602. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I found myself more recently than not asking this question when I see people here at church in the grocery store, I want to know what you're doing this summer. And I find that it's not so much out of curiosity of wanting to know what people are doing, but it's this overwhelming sense of calendars and schedules have overwhelmed our lives, at least in my house. Trying to get through our family summer calendar, what camps Who's going to be in what week? When is vacation going to come? When is family going to visit? When are we going to visit friends? But then here at the church, we have our church calendar that we work through. We have our liturgical calendar, which reminds us that today is Trinity Sunday. More on that in just a moment. But we have our work calendars. We have visitation schedules for friends and for family to come into town. Our lives are overwhelmed with calendars and schedules and time. And how we mark time is important. How we celebrate the transition of time is important, and it's especially important for Isaiah 
as we look at the question this morning, what is a prophet? Every person who knows God has experienced a bit of God's awesomeness. That's what the Old Testament lesson is about today. Every person in every culture in every generation experiences God's awesomeness in different ways. This is the way Isaiah, in the year about 740 B.C., experienced the holiness, the awesomeness of God. His experience of the holiness of God was not like the mountaintops of islands of Puget Sound or a solo sung near the tomb of the resurrection. Isaiah's was in the temple of God. At this time, about seven, uh, excuse me, 740 B.C., the temple was about 250 years old at that time. It was a big, beautiful building. And as Isaiah was in the temple, he looked up high, about 150 feet high to the ceiling. And in that space, he saw a vision. He saw God on God's throne. And the robes of God came cascading down into the temple as water comes cascading down a waterfall. And all around Isaiah was this robe of God flowing like streams of silk, curling around him. He looked up into the face of God, and he couldn't quite glimpse it, but he could see two seraphim, the two winged creatures with three sets of wings, one set of wings covering the face, one set covering the feet, and the other set being used to fly. And they were singing in this deep, majestic voice, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And the voice rumbled, heaven and earth are full of God's glory. Holy, 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 awesome is the Lord God of heaven. You see, at that time in Palestine, you could see the skies with all their clarity. You could see heavens and the desert nights and the stars that filled the darkness. And you began to memorize the sky and the stars as we would memorize songs or poetry. Isaiah would see all of this in his time and say, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Isaiah would have walked down by the Jordan River to its banks and saw the flowers there and the beauty and the mountains. And Isaiah would have said, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. And it prepared Isaiah to experience the awesomeness of God. And when confronted with God's goodness, Isaiah immediately in his heart felt, Oh God, you are so good, but I am not good compared to you. And the seraphim, reading Isaiah's thoughts, flew down to the altar and took a tongue to pick up a hot piece of coal and flew over to Isaiah and touched it to his lips, maybe even touched it to his heart and said, Your guilt is removed, your sins are gone. And then Isaiah would hear the voice of God saying, Who will I send? Who will go out into the world for me to be my people. And Isaiah, maybe with boldness, maybe with fear, maybe with trepidation, raised his hand and said, Here am I. Send me. The church calendar suggests that this uh, Trinity Sunday, we talk and explain the Trinity and that this verse from Isaiah helps us understand the mystical relationship of God. That God's nature is God's own and not our own. That God is holy and that we are not. And this will hit Isaiah and surely will hit us square in the face. And so in trying to make sense 
between Trinity Sunday and the passage from Isaiah, my first and foremost thought was, when I'm trying to get the kids off to school or trying to get them down to bed, I don't care what the Trinity is. I'm just saying, God, give me strength. You just want to know how to make it through the next days, not understand and grasp the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the perichoresis, which is the fancy word for holy dance. You just want to understand what it means to say, God, help me. But then maybe that's what Trinity Sunday is all about. Not explaining the how of the Trinity, but explaining the who of the Trinity. Maybe Trinity Sunday is actually about the relationships that are so important in our lives. Those moments when we feel like we need God's help. A reminder that God is relational within God's self. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We may not care about how the Trinity works or does what God does in three persons, but it matters to us because God is in relationship with us. I'm not going to spend this whole time making it a history lesson or to rehash intro to Christian thought on Trinity Sunday, but simply to remind you that God is always in relationship with us, with creation, and with others. And relationship does not limit us to who we can be in relationship to or with. Relationship does not limit us to nationality or to race or even what country is on our birth certificates, because relationship happens in baptism. When we baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're not just saying what is happening, or we're not just doing this because God said do this, go and baptize in my name. We are sharing in the relationship with God. And in order to understand that God is in relationship, it helps us begin to understand that question, what is a prophet? But to look at what is a prophet, we have to go back for a moment into the story of Isaiah and see who else is mentioned there. And see that in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah received his vision. So who was Uzziah? He ruled Judah for 52 years, bringing the kingdom to new heights of economic prosperity, military power, political influence. But he forgot that he was just an earthly king. He became self-delusional. Self-delusion, as we read and see here in Isaiah's story, and you can look back at Second Chronicles and see how King Uzziah played out. God sometimes lets people suffer the consequences of their self-delusion in order to learn how self-deluded they have truly been. And the only way to combat that is with a dose of humility. Because, you see, King Uzziah challenged sacred worship in the temple, and he lost as mighty as he was, Uzziah was no match for the Lord, and his arrogance led to his death. To understand the voice of a prophet and those who speak to Uzziahs of our time, we have to ask ourselves if we are truly seeking the humility of Christ. We have to ask ourselves if we've become so self-delusional that we think we can save ourselves, or to even think that the most self-delusional thought of all that we're living at the most important time in human history. I would suggest to you this morning that if you think that we are living in the most important time in human history in the world, we may need to revisit that hill on Golgotha or the empty tomb 2,000 years ago to see that this today is not the most important time in the world. And if that doesn't hit you with a dose of humility, 
You should have seen me in the office to decide whether or not I put that into the sermon or not. There's only one king that will save us, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, but desires to make our hearts his home, even the hearts of the King Uzziahs of our day. The voice of the prophet threatens us when we are close to being self-delusional. And the prophet speaks to those or fills the void when we think that we have made it about ourselves. And so if prophecy isn't your thing, maybe it's time to listen to others who are prophets. And there's a litmus test that I usually encounter if I'm encountering someone who has a voice of a prophet. If it's something that challenges me or pushes my thoughts or reminds me that maybe my ways are not God's ways, typically their voice of the prophets. And if they're doing so from a place of scripture, a place of integrity, a place of holiness, the voice of the prophet goes and speaks to us when we think that it is about us. So Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I will be the voice of the prophet. Tell me what you want me to do, God, because I'll do it. Speak with clarity. Give a four-step plan to salvation. I can do that. But God says this. Go and say to this people, listen intently, but do not perceive. Look very carefully, but do not understand. Make this people's mind dull. Clog up their ears. Cloud over their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and perceive with their minds, then turn and are healed. I beg your pardon, says the prophet Isaiah. I thought you told me to go and be a prophet, to speak clearly, concisely, and to give clarity and understanding. But God is calling Isaiah to speak and to preach and to talk in such a way that he adds more confusion. He doesn't want them to fully understand God, but he wants them to clog their minds. Now, hopefully that has not been your experience with my sermons over the last three years, that I just muddy the waters every week in and week out. But maybe that's a part of being a prophet. Maybe the voice, the role of a prophet is to muddy the waters, to stir the waters, to wade in the waters of life, and to be able to see that God is not calling us to grasp God's nature, but to grasp how awesome God is. And so quite rightly, and perhaps with that reluctant voice, Isaiah replies, Not this time with here am I, but how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, do you want me to confuse, to confound, to turn aside the people you have called me to prophesy to? And in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, God answers, Until cities are blasted without inhabitants, houses without people, and the land is completely shattered until God sends everyone far away and the emptiness in the land is enormous. If only a tenth remain, it will be burned again like a turban or an oak whose stump still stands after it is cut down. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, Isaiah is called by God to make the people unaware of how terrible they are in. 
Due to Isaiah's ministry in the world, Israel will be decimated, annihilated, and sent off to exile. And because of him, they will not be able to turn and be healed. And Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? But here's the hope in the midst of that harsh word in Isaiah the sixth chapter. Because it ends like this. Even a holy seed can grow from a stump. Even at our worst, even after falling, even after being burned, all that remains is a seed, all that remains is hope and new life. And that seed is now holy and sacred and able to start afresh. It's the smallest of small hopes, but it is hope. And it rests not just on the ministry of Isaiah and Isaiah's calling, but on our lives as well. So we don't end with how long, O Lord, but we begin again with here am I, send me as our first response. Even when our gut may be telling us to tell God, send someone else. I guess it could be said that both are parts of our lives. Here am I, send me, and send someone else. That call is mysterious, and it is dark and light. It is a joyful celebration and a burdensome call. So what do we expect when we take on the role or enter into ministry with prophets? I think our hearts need to be changed. May 24th, 280 years ago, the Reverend John Wesley went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistles of the Romans. And that evening, John Wesley wrote in his journal about a quarter before nine, while I was descending, describing the change in which God works in the heart through the faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ in Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. May 24th, John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. But on May 29th, John Wesley began to do something unheard of for a noble priest in the Anglican church to do at that time. He began to go out into the street corners and proclaim the good news of God. He decided that he would become more vile in his preaching. I try not to be vile in my preaching, but I'm assuming that there's an 18th century translation that I'm missing somewhere. He decided that he would be more vile by taking the message and the hope and the grace of God to those who were excluded from the place at the table, from the houses of worship. May 24th may be our Aldersgate Day in United Methodism where we celebrate our hearts being strangely warmed, but if our hearts being warmed do not prompt us to action, then we are just serving ourselves. Because this is what Wesley would realize over the course of his life. Even though he felt that God's love was reintroduced on May 4th, it had always been there in some small way. It just needed to be reintroduced to be able to fully flourish. In other words, John Wesley's love of God had to become like a wolf. 
You see, I read a speech this week given by Abby Wambach at a graduation speech, and she talked about wolves. In 1995, wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone National Park after being absent for about 70 years. In those 70 years, the number of deer had skyrocketed because they were unchallenged, alone at the top of the food chain. They grazed away and reduced the vegetation so much that the riverbanks in Yellowstone National Park were eroding. But once the wolves arrived, they thinned out the deer through hunting. But more significantly, their presence changed the behavior of the deer. Wisely, the deer started avoiding the valleys, and the vegetation in those places regenerated. Trees quintupled in just six years. Birds and beavers started moving in. The river dams the beavers built provided habitats for otters and ducks and fish, and the animal ecosystem regenerated. But that wasn't all. The rivers actually changed as well. The plant regeneration stabilized the riverbanks so they stopped collapsing. The rivers steadied. Life returned, all because of the wolves' presence. The wolves, which were removed because they were feared as a threat to the system, turned out to be the salvation for Yellowstone National Park. Maybe that's what it means to be a prophet and to listen to the voice of prophets. Those voices that threaten us, those voices that we try to silence, maybe those are the ones that we need to hear most. Not to solve everything, but remind us that we need to justify ourselves with God's life and put our lives back on course. Our job as Christians, our job as prophets, our job as children of God is not to explain God, but to experience God and to share that experience with others. Once we begin to do that, once our hearts become warmed, once our voices of prophecy become like the wolves, and once God's relationship dwells in us and through us, will we begin to understand that relationship and like Isaiah, be able to say, here I am, send me. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Our closing hymn is number 593, Here I Am, Lord. Is it I, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. We invite you to stand and join us in singing. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.